This episode is brought to you by Okendo. Over 5,000 of Shopify's fastest growing retailers trust Okendo to capture high impact reviews, showcase customer experiences, and drive conversions. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. This is episode 126, and today I sat down with Greg Vetter, the co-founder and CEO of Tessamaze. Available in retail stores nationwide, including Whole Foods, Tessamaze offers a variety of all-natural salad dressings, sauces, marinades, dips, and condiments that are gluten-free, vegan, and sugar-free. Greg and I talked about his childhood growing up as the oldest of three boys in Annapolis, what it was like playing professional lacrosse for three years, to realizing a friend stole his mother's lemon garlic salad dressing out of their own house, and how it sparked the idea to launch Tessamaze. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe, tell all of your friends, and check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Hi, Greg. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderfully. Wonderful. I'm so glad that you uh, took the time to join the show today. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. I'm excited to hear your story and um, with your brothers building Tessie Mays. Can you tell everybody just real quick before we dive in what Tessie Mays is? So we are the number one organic salad dressing and condiment company in the country. And Number so, one. All right. Yeah. You're either first or you're last. <laughs> and you're first. We like to tell ourselves that anyway. And um, yeah, so we started it 13 years ago. And uh, here we are just hustling sauce across the country. Sauce. Sounds saucy. What are some of the most popular sauces? Uh, so the original lemon garlic is still in the top five, standing strong. Nice. Creamy dressings have really taken the other spots in there. So you've got classic ranch, habanero ranch. Creamy uh, Caesar. Yep. Yep. You so got good. Caesar in there. You got everything bagel ranch. Our mayonnaises do really well. And so uh, America loves creamy dressings and mayonnaise. And I guess lemon garlic. <laughs> And lemon pepper. Well, I'll get into it later because I've been trying a few of the um, the dressings you guys sent over and they're amazing. But before we do that, you are in Rehoboth Beach right now, which yeah. is like the beach I grew up going to every summer as a kid because I'm from Delaware. Nice. So you're bringing back all the memories with the taffy and the, <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> There's a lot going on. My kids are on like a one week sugar high. I don't, I don't want to see the other side of that, to be honest with you. Hey, I went through it. I can vouch. They'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's incredible. I haven't been back to Rehoboth. I mean, since I was a teenager, really. I mean, it's still wonderful. It's, it's jam packed, but it's still wonderful. It's an awesome little town. The beaches are great. With that haunted ride that they have, it's like a Halloween ride, but it's like open year round or whatever. It's like the scariest haunted roller coaster house. I have the most epic photos of my children and my nieces and nephews going through it, making the most ridiculous faces you've ever seen in your life. Because it's terrifying. (laughs) It's, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. There's so many rides. There's the teacups, right? There's so many great rides still there. Anything in like 30 years. (laughs) I feel like nothing's probably changed. I'm going to go back. It's going to look identical to like 15 years ago. 100%. Or more, God. And so why Rehoboth? Uh, we love it. Uh, I grew up and my family, uh, we used to go to Dewey because our neighbor had a house there. So we would just stay in Dewey. And then obviously in college, that's where you go. Because- that is where you go for senior week. It's like <laughs> there. But, I mean, I was there. <laughs> Great clues. The party beach. Yes. And then, uh, you know, you have kids and you need some boardwalk and some, you know, pizza shops and all that good stuff. And you go to Rehoboth. And so I have four kids and my brother, my younger brother, Brian has four kids. And then my youngest brother, Matt has three kids. So is he going for a fourth too, just to keep up with the brothers? No, No? (laughs) he's ending at three and uh, we make fun of him about it all the time. That's so funny. That's so you, where are you from originally? Sounds like you're from the area. Yeah. I'm from Annapolis, Maryland. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So what was it like growing up in Annapolis? It's such a beautiful place. Lots of boating. It was very fun. You know, we lived on the Severn river in this little community. And so it was just kind of old school, free range living, you know, your mom just screamed, dinner at the top of her lungs and every kid just running and so it was fun and um we swam in the swim league in the summer seven river swim league and so you know you get used to jellyfish and you you get you get tough but yeah we had a great time and then you know went to school there and then um my brothers and i all played sports in high school but then we uh played lacrosse in college and so then we kind of went off and did our deal and we all came back. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, bringing it back, all the crabs, I'm sure you had lots of old Bay on your crabs. Lots of old Bay to the point where your fingers swell up. And it stings in your fingernails or. (laughs) Yep. I'm a master crab picker. Oh, Uh, yep. Cause you would measure them and know if they're big enough to take home. Well, that, that's just catching them, but picking is an art. Oh, yeah, to crack it open and, yeah, Yeah. get in there. Ins and outs there. Clean out the guts and everything. (laughs) It's a whole thing. It's a culture. My buddies came down from Connecticut in college, and we're like, we got to go eat crabs. And so we took them for the first time. They're like, this sucks. I want a lobster. (laughs) No. Oh, that's funny. Uh. Yep. So funny. My husband used to make fun of me for being able to open up a crab. And he's like, that's so barbaric. Like, what are you doing? You know, but it's so natural and second nature when you grew up doing that as a kid. Yep. (laughs) So anyways, you grew up in Annapolis. You have two brothers. 
when you look back at your childhood, were there times where you're like, that was actually really entrepreneurial? Like we were pretty entrepreneurial kids or you were, or like, what were some examples? So my parents said that I always used to ask, is this invented yet? And so I would come downstairs and come up with an idea. And I'd always say, has this been invented yet? And they're like, they're like, yeah, 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 it has. But then we were also just, you know, we would shovel snow, we would rake leaves. I was actually a babysitter in the community for kids that basically terrorized the normal babysitter. So then they would like call me in as the enforcer. That's so good. That's, that's what I did. I also was like a lifeguard and you just did, you did whatever you could do to, to make cash. Lifeguarding at the time was a good, was a good gig. Cause you got, it was like the highest paying gig you could get for the hourly wage. I remember that's why I became a lifeguard. <laughs> I went from a short order cook in like a little, it was probably against the law based on my age and uh, just sitting there with like deep frying everything in the middle of the summer. And I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> and, then, and then I uh, turned 16 and they're like, yeah, you can be a lifeguard now. And so then I like went out onto the beach and was making $15 an hour. You were a lifeguard at the beach? On the, just on the river. Oh, so, oh yeah, yeah. I was like, cause the beach is a whole nother level of lifeguarding. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did that. I worked construction for a summer. That was actually pretty fun, but very hard. Yeah. But yeah, we were just, you know, hustling, trying to make money. Yep. Yep. That's cool. And so um, what college did you go to? It looks like Washington College. Yep. On the Eastern Shore. And then my brothers went to Towson. And so we played lacrosse there. And then uh, we played professionally for a while before we started Tessie Mays. Nice. What did you think when you were a kid looking back? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I don't think I knew, but I, I do remember we had to make a poster in fifth grade and it was like, you know, draw what you want to be. And, you know, everybody was like a doctor or a lawyer and I wanted to be a artist and an athlete. And so I drew, I remember drawing like this, like a locker and there was like sports stuff in it and there was like art stuff in it. And I was like, that's what I want to be. And so uh, I guess I did that it, in some way, shape or form because I do a lot of our label work and design work with our packaging and stuff. And then I obviously did the sports thing. So, you know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I knew I wanted to be something cool. <laughs> <laughs> something fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You studied business in college, and then um, sounds like you went off to be a professional athlete, professional lacrosse player. What were some of the first jobs, or, or how long did that last? It lasted like three years. I had a bunch of just kind of shitty jobs right out of college. Washington College was a, it's one of the only schools outside of Ivy League schools that you have to write a thesis to graduate. So I wrote a 97-page thesis on global comparative it was a global comparative analysis on commercial real estate companies which is i don't know why i did that i basically was interviewing uh, all my rich friends dads and trying to figure out how i could be rich too and so one guy was like i'm a hedge fund manager i'm like that seems complicated and then, <laughs> and then like i don't know what that is <laughs> and then one guy was like i'm in commercial real estate i'm like I understand what you're saying there. I, you like, know, I get real estate. I can understand that one. 
And so then, you know, my first job right out of college was mortgages, which was not uh, commercial real estate. And then I didn't really like that. And I kind of bounced around and then I got a job in insurance, which was equally boring. But it sounds like these are two sales jobs, right? Like, so you kind of went down this like sales path. I did do that. But all the while I was kind of like writing business plans, I, I knew I wanted to do something by myself because as I was getting into the companies, I would kind of look at what infrastructure was required for this to be successful, right? It's like, okay, they have an office space, they have a basic computer system, they've got a logo, they sell something, they hire people to do it, there's a split of some sort, like I can do that. And so you're like, uh, I can run these companies. There's no problem. This makes perfect sense to me. And so I'm like, what am I going to do next? And so I, uh, I got a job selling insurance and I was good at it. It wasn't very fun, but I was making a lot of money as a young man. And so I went to the owner and I said, Hey, you know, like I brought in three of the top five uh, largest customers that you have. And I was only like maybe 24, 25 at the time. And I want to be a partner in this thing. How long have you, well, wait, how long have you been at the company when you asked to be a partner? Uh, like a year and a half. Okay. <laughs> like but, I can run this joint. Let me just be a partner. Yeah, but you know, uh, you got to have the ambition. I love it. I think I'm kind of similar, unfortunately. And <laughs> it's like, unfortunately and fortunately, right? It's like, you think you're capable of so many things, even if it's so hard, but that naivety is such bliss because it gets you in the door. Yeah. I, I always joke, I'm a beautiful combination of uh, ignorance and ambition. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Don't ever lose the ignorance part because when you get jaded, it's really hard to go back. Uh, well, I'm unfortunately jaded. Then. <laughs> I'm sure you are after this many years in business. Yeah. But going back, so you asked and to be partner. No. Shocker. <laughs> hard no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So then I started trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I want to do, right? Like if I'm not going to own a piece of this, then I want to put my efforts to something that matters. And I didn't know what that meant. And so I would go home at lunch and I would stand on my head in the dark and I would try and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so, and so something about standing on your head would help you come up with ideas. That, that was the thought process, blood to the brain, you know, get everything into the brain to make it as potent as possible so I could figure this out. And then one day I came home for lunch and this two liter bottle of salad dressing that my mom had made for me was missing. And I tracked down my neighbor, you know, I called like 10 people. I finally got to this one guy who I did not think would be eating salad dressing. And he broke into my house and took this salad dressing. And I said, you know, do you have my dressing? <laughs> he was like, yes, I do. And I had this like bizarre lightning bolt moment of, you know, what kind of man steals another man's salad dressing one. Right. Then, Why not just ask for it? Yeah. Well, I was. Why does he have to steal? Yeah, exactly. But you know, um, it just never got old. We had been eating it since we were, let's just call it. I was ten years old, probably, and we had it every single night. And my mom had brought it to all these tailgates, and everybody that ever tried it loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to start a salad dressing company. And so I called my wife, and I she was kind of the first pressure test. 
you what know, was her reaction? That's the best idea I've ever heard. And I'm like, really? Like, really? Because we're going to be poor for a Yeah, really did you time. marry an angel? Because that's not a normal response. <laughs> it's not. It's not a normal response. And so I was like, then I called my mom and I tested on her. She gave me a normal response, which was, that's never going to work. And then I called my brothers and they were like, yeah, let us know if you get it going, we'll come in and help. And, and that's how it started. That's funny. And so this is the lemon, the lemon garlic sauce dressing that you were talking about earlier. That's the first, that's the one that the guy stole. Yeah. Didn't have a name at the time, but that's, that's what we named it. The neighbor. So this neighbor, are you guys still friends today? Is he like, you're welcome. I gave you this idea for, and you're welcome that I stole your, your dressing. Yeah. He's like, you're welcome. <laughs> he's like, you should use my full name every time you tell this story. <laughs> well, his, his, uh, the, the name he knows is Smitty Lax. So if anybody knows Smitty Lax, they know that he, so he him. was a, he was like a neighbor buddy that you guys probably grew up with or knew really well. And he just probably came into the house without needing a key. You guys left the doors unlocked and just snuck right in and saw that sauce and, and took it home. Basically. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. So that kind of, you were like, all right, if, if this is so good that people are stealing it out of my own home, then maybe we have something here. And so what were some of the first things that you, you know, had to do to get the business off the ground? Well, the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out whether or not it existed because I didn't want to just create something that may have already been sitting on a shelf. So, so you needed to ask, is this invented yet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Has this been invented yet? Yes. And so I drove to Whole Foods and uh, nothing like it was on the shelf, which I was surprised about. And then I drove to Fresh Market and then I drove to Safeway and then I drove to Giant. And I was kind of shocked because it was 2009. And, and so I was like, okay, well, nothing like it exists. And so I'm going to go for it. And it's pretty simple, right? I mean, it's lemon garlic sauce. So it's funny that it didn't exist already, right? Well, we ended up inventing clean manufacturing. So people just did not make clean salad dressing in 2009. And, and what I mean by clean salad dressing is like no thickening agents, no weird acids, no natural flavors, no refined sugar, no kind of weird industrial oils. And I was like, I just kind of sat there flabbergasted that it didn't exist. And so then I just started calling the local Annapolis Whole Foods and I finally got somebody on the phone and I said, hey, you know, I'm a world famous food manufacturer and you really need to try my dressing. Did you really use the words world famous? Of yeah. course you did, Mr. Salesman. Right. You got to you got to swing for the fences there, you know, right. got to get some attention. And so the, uh, the first couple of people said no. And then I just had this weird feeling that they weren't the right people. And so I just kept calling. And then I finally got in touch with a guy. His name's Keith Spriggs. And uh, he goes, yeah, bring it in on Friday and I'll try it. I'm like, nice. okay. When, yeah. So I, so I call my mom and I'm like, you're never going to believe this. I got a meeting with Whole Foods and uh, I need you to make the greatest batch of salad dressing you've ever made. And she's like, we're not a company. There's not a bottle. There's no name. What are you talking about? And I go, I will figure all of that out. All I asked you to do was make the dressing. So please make the greatest batch of salad dressing you've ever made. Yeah. And, 
And so I went in on Friday and I had a Tupperware container and some crunchy romaine lettuce. And I had the lemon garlic dressing on top and I walked in and the guy was like, so where, uh, where's your packaging? I'm like, you're busy. It's Friday. It's lunchtime. I brought you a salad. And he looks at me like I'm on drugs. And he <laughs> takes this piece of wet lettuce out of the Tupperware container, licks the dressing off. He doesn't even eat it. And he looks at me and goes, you have something really special here. You need to call the regional office. What? And, and That's so crazy. I, yep. And so I was like, okay, why don't you call the regional office for me? <laughs> then I'll go up to that meeting too. And so that's what he did. And then- Like right then and there, or like following week or when did he end up calling you for you? Called him that day. And then I followed up like a crazy person via email. Yeah. And I, and I got uh, a meeting for the following week and um, did the same deal, but had come up with a name by then, which is Tessie Mays All Natural. Well, actually, initially, the name was Tessie Mae's Organic. And Tessie Mae is your mom's name. It's her nickname, yeah. Her nickname. name's Tess. Yeah. Oh. So that's a nickname her friends call her or something, and that's how you guys came up with it? And, I mean, she no, made the dressing. So my dad is from Portsmouth, Ohio. And uh, he took her to a wedding, and, you know, Bobby Sue was getting married. And so she walks in and she's like, hi, I'm Teresa. And his older brother goes, not in these parts. You're not, you're Tessie May. And so when, uh, <laughs> so when email came out, her email address was Tessie May at AOL.com. And so oh, that was, always just her, that was always her email. So nobody outside of my dad's family ever called her that, but that was always her email address. And so as I was trying to think of, of names, I was coming up with uh, very bad ones. And finally, I wrote out Tessie Mays Organic. And I'm like, huh, that seems really official. And so- <laughs> Sounds legitimate. <laughs> that is legit. And so then I just started telling people that was the name and everyone was like, oh, that's a great name. And I'm like, okay. Right, it's unique. No one's ever heard that name before. I mean, I haven't, I've never heard that name. Right. And so then I went to the meeting and they're like, what's your name? I'm like, Tessie Mays Organic. And they're like, oh, that's a great name. And so they tried it, loved it, handed me 200 pages of food manufacturing paperwork because obviously I'm world famous. And uh, that began my journey. That was about February 2009. And then we had the grand opening of the new Annapolis Whole Foods, which was May 1st, 2009. Oh, wow. From February to May, you were launched in Whole Foods by May. Yep. That's really insane, though, right? Because was insane. You, you didn't have any manufacturing done, nothing, no name, didn't even incorporate. You had to do everything in such a little time period. I called everybody and I said, listen, I don't know shit about shit. And my life is on the line. And I have an opportunity May 1st. And you are going to help me do this. And they're like, okay. <laughs> amazing yeah um that's awesome and so what was it like launching and whole foods may 1st and when did the brothers start getting involved so they were helping me kind of piecemeal they were they were still in college doing their college deal uh so they would come back and help me make stuff at night because the only certified kitchen i could find was adam's ribs in eastport shout out to my boy brian toomey 
who let me use that for free. So and you so, were using your friend's restaurant's kitchen. Yeah, we would go but, in yeah. and make it from like 11 o'clock at night, depending on how much we had to make until mm -hmm. we had to be out of there by like 530 in the morning. Wow. So you and guys so, were up all night making sauce and dressings. Yeah. yeah. Hand filling it, hand labeling it. We did that for like three years. <laughs> wow. And these are the ones that launched in Whole Foods. Yes. Wow. Yep. I'm like, do they allow you to do that? <laughs> you yeah. know? So, wow. so you, but you have to be dialed in, right? Like you have to have a manufacturing process. It has to get approved by the process authority. You have to be in a certified kitchen. They have to approve that as your, that's where you get your manufacturing license. Then you have to do all the pH testing and all the food science and all that jazz. And so I, I, I did all of that between February and May. And so, you know, here we are. Now we have, you know, three manufacturing plants and food safety people and, you know, all that good stuff. But in the beginning, we were just hand making it and, you know, doing it that way. Yeah, that's insane. And so I'm sure you had to raise money at some point. What was fundraising like? And what were some of the, the good and bad that, that came with fundraising? So we bootstrapped it for a long time. Me and my wife liquidated our 401ks and we took out like 25 credit cards when I had a really great credit score back before I ran a business. <laughs> and uh, so that was good for a while. And then we did some friends and family stuff. We actually went through the SBA initially, but we went through a bank that wasn't really a preferred lender with the SBA. So it was taking a lot longer than it should have been because we were, we were getting a bottling line. And so I ran into this guy who uh, referred me to an, our first ever investor, who was Jim Chambers, who is still an investor. He's a wonderful human being. And how'd you find this guy? Just Annapolis, just asking people for help and people, you know, pointing me into a different direction. And so I was like, hey, you know, I got this SBA loan. It's not closing. I need to put a deposit down on this bottling line or I'm going to lose it. And he's like, well, how much do you need? And I'm like, 75,000 bucks. He was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was like, what do you, what, what do you mean? Okay. Right. He was like, I'll send it to you. And I was like, uh, Okay. And that was the easiest money I ever got. Right. And so then once first the and SBA, last easiest smut check you got, right? <laughs> right. And then once the SBA clicked in, I went to give him back the money. He goes, just keep it. You know, let's let's come to some good terms on it. And so we've, you know, that led to other friends and family. Uh, the check sizes were getting bigger and bigger. One of our largest checks in the beginning was in 2015 with Kevin Plank in his home office, Sagamore Ventures. And so, you know, each, each step, you kind of level up into a different level of complexity and sophistication. And, and so all of them were critical points in our journey. You learn a lot. You learn a lot over 13 years. What are some of the uh, things that you learned about fundraising and maybe some advice that you have for founders out there raising? If you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, I think that what comes from, do you think that is, I've heard that so many times and I wonder, I think it's probably mostly from like ask for advice because you want to build a relationship with an investor before you start asking for money. You can't just start asking for money on the first meeting. You have to kind of get to know them. They need to get to know you. You kind of have to vet each other and then ask when it's time and keep them updated with stuff before you ask so they can see your progress and do you, do you agree? Or like, what other advice do you have for kind of building relationships with investors? It's difficult because they're, you know, investors, that's their job. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think we realize, you know, we're in our little bubble of, oh, I make salad dressing and these people have money and they're going to give it to me because I don't know why, because they think my company is so- I need it. <laughs> right. Because I need it. My company is so cool. Right. And in reality, like, that's their business, right? Like they need a return. They need you to be successful. They want everything super dialed in. Everything is kind of an analysis of risk. And I don't think a lot of young business people, including me in the beginning, uh, understood that at all. And so, you know, you're so focused on making sure that the product's great and the consumer experience is wonderful and the quality is what it needs to be. And then there's a whole other component which then everything kind of graduates into, which is just like, you are now basically a professional investment vehicle. There's this paradox where you need to keep this entrepreneurial fire and and brand and culture and keep it rolling. But then for that to happen, you need to be over here doing the complete opposite of that. And so it's this insane tension that you have to maintain to continue to scale. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think you're right. A lot of entrepreneurs, especially early on, really forget about the fact that the investor is kind of running their own business, which is their job to write the right checks to the right types of companies that are fast growing, that are going to bring back the biggest returns. I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs that are really passionate, they're just starting out to not take sometimes it personal, right? You build a relationship with someone, you really like them, you know that they can help you so much with your business. You're like, I have to have this person on my board or as an investor. And then when they say no, you're like, oh, what? I thought we had something. (laughs) No, literally. I mean, you have to be so resilient because the number of no's that you get uh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, the you almost have to like become a crazy person because it's just like, oh yeah, you know, I don't mind that everybody hates what I'm doing and it keeps telling me no every day. And then you're just like, I'm, I'm gonna make it work somehow. And then eventually you do, right? And so you're like, okay, I guess I was right this time, but some people uh, are not right. And it it is devastating. It really is a roller coaster of feeling within one day or even in this 10 minute span of, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I doing this with my life? Like everybody thinks this is crazy. I don't know why I'm spending my time on this. Is this going to fail and be the biggest waste of my life? Or, and then like two minutes later, you're like, oh my God, I just got into Whole Foods or, oh my gosh, something happened. And I knew it. I freaking knew it. You know, (laughs) it's like, yeah, Yeah. roller coaster ride. Yep. It's just like, and then the uh, the ups and downs just kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you find this beautiful little vibrational frequency for the for the long haul, I guess. How do you tap into that? And how do you kind of build that strength? 
you know, how do you keep going? I think you have to one, understand, you know, what are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? And then you just need to basically create a daily routine that allows you to prepare for anything and be okay with what happens at the same time, right? Because if you don't stop and smell the roses, then you're always kind of looking forward with anxiety or you're looking backwards with depression. And so you just kind of find this beautiful rhythm of, okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to write. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do things that are impactful. I'm going to, you know, drive my kids to school. I'm going to do all of these things that remind you kind of why you're grinding through everything. And then the rest of it is just time, right? You have to just, everything that you're experienced for the first time is obviously much more potent, I would say, in terms of its impact on you. But then when you kind of encounter that the second time, it's, it's less impactful. And so you get used to things more. And so again, it's just finding this sustainable rhythm for the long haul. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Okendo is the new standard in customer reviews, and they want to make it simple and easy for you to collect user-generated content to use for your Shopify site. Retailers that use Okendo have seen an 81% increase in conversion rate when customers interact with reviews and UGC on their site. With Okendo, you can showcase UGC and reviews on your e-commerce site to build trust with your customer base and compel buying action. Okendo works with some of Shopify's fastest growing brands like Skims, Carbon38, Byte, Magic Spoon, so many more. So if you'd like to join these high growth brands, head on over to go.okendo.io slash stairway to CEO to book a demo and take advantage of getting 30 days free on Okendo. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. And so what is that one thing? I know there's like many things. It's probably like an onion that unravels of your, of your why. You know, there's like so many reasons on the outside of why, but when you get to the core, the deepest part of you, why are you doing this every day? Like how, what really keeps you sustained through all of the ups and downs of this ride and this roller coaster? I think it's changed over time for sure. From uh, what to what? Uh, in the beginning, it was I, I wanted to live a life that was worth living. Uh, I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. I wanted to, you know, change my stars from being, you know, a regular middle class person to something more impactful, I guess you could say. And so with all of that, you know, that's why I initially took all of the risk. And then you have kids and then they become <laughs> right. And then you have a bunch of kids, and then they yeah. become your why. And you go, okay, well, I want them to see their, you know, father leading by example and and practicing what he preaches, etc. And so this kind of cycle continues to spiral upwards into you know different areas that you didn't even really understand uh, would ever come your way. And so again, if you approach each day with this like foundational understanding of you know who you are and, and what is important in the world 
then uh, you can kind of overcome these obstacles that come your way every single day. What's the big dream or vision for the company? What's the outcome that you hope to achieve from all of this hard work? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do want to just be the next great consumer package good brand, right? That stands for something true because I think one of the biggest problems with food in the United States is it's most of it's just all a big lie, right? It's, it's a big kind of marketing ploy where they want you to look over here and then they're going to actually give you some bull crap over here. And so nobody makes things for the most part the way they should be made. And so when you make something the way it should be made, people can taste it and they can recognize it. And it's like, wow, this is special, right? I don't see this every day. And you don't see it every day because all of these brands like Tessie Mays have sold to somebody and then they are a cog in a system. And so they take something that used to be wonderful and they dumb it down a little bit and then they dumb it down a little bit more. And then they choose whether or not that they can dumb it down to, you know, nothing or they just end it completely. And so you see that with Honest Tea, right? That's not even a brand that Coca-Cola ended that brand. And so that was a brand that I looked up to on my early entrepreneurial adventures, I guess you could say. And so to see them kind of sell a majority stake to Coca-Cola and then sell the rest of it, and then he was gonna change Coca-Cola, I guess, from the inside out, or at least that was the hope. And now the brand doesn't exist. You're like, yeah, wow. you know, like that's crazy. <sighs> and, um, and so if, if we can stand strong and continue to do things the correct way, that would be a really cool story, right? The next version of McCormick or Heinz or, you know, all of these kind of iconic conglomerates that have just acquired, 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 acquired. And then, you know, I guess something crazy, like every consumer packaged good brand in the world is owned by like eight people. Right. And you're like, Cause the conglomerates, right. You're saying there's like eight conglomerates that own everything. Basically. Yes. Yeah. It's like then the beauty industry right. <laughs> and fashion mostly. Yeah. Yep. So you know, starting and growing a business involves a ton of professional and personal growth. How have you grown personally as a leader and CEO? I think I've become an avid, I guess, learner as I've gotten older. I read a lot more than I did as a young man. I've grown in ways that I probably didn't think that I would grow. Like what? You, you almost get like calmer. Because nothing or, shocks you anymore? Or like what produces shock, that calm? Yeah, like nothing shocks you as much. And that could also be called hardened or cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, like to, I like to think of it as stoic. And so I've definitely learned a lot in terms of what it's like to lead people older than me, what it's like to lead my peers, what it's like to lead family members, what that takes. What does it take, do you think, if you were to kind of summarize? 
you got to have your ego in check for sure because i think everything just comes down to battles of the ego and so you got to be able to know when to stand strong and then you also need to be able to know when you just you know got to swallow it and bite your tongue and sleep it off because there are no trivial comments when you're in the leadership position and everybody is always one decision away from having a completely different life. And so you have to just manage that accordingly based on where you are in the journey. And uh, that's not easy, right? Because every decision, every roller coaster ride you have every single day, you know, the decisions that you make after you get off that roller coaster ride, those are the decisions that basically dictate tomorrow. And so if you are not in a grounded, well thought out, hydrated, well nourished, over supplemented brain, then you're going to get off that roller coaster ride and you're going to make a bad decision. And so, you know, I, I think that component of figuring out and learning how to get myself in an optimal state every single day, no matter what the day is, you know, that has been a very long process. So what is your process or how do you get into that optimal state? If let's say you just had like a real bad call or some bad news, and now you've got to have a big meeting with your team and you got to keep them excited or whatever it is, you know, those two different things. How do you take yourself from shit is hitting the fan? <laughs> this is not a good thing to that optimal level that you're talking about. Practice. Practice doing what? Do you do something? Do you like go and meditate? Do you take a breather? Uh, I, I think my morning routine is very, very important because I think everything that you do in the morning will then kind of dictate what you're prepared to handle for the rest of the day. And so if I write what I call like morning pages, it can be journaling or whatever, but there's it's just basically... Uh, a stream of consciousness. And then I meditate and then I read something of substance. Recently, it's been mostly like stoicism. I'm reading The Obstacle is the Way right now by Ryan Holiday for like the eighth time. Obstacle is the Way? Yeah, The Obstacle is the Way. And then I'm also reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And so, like, I'll meditate and then I'll read that and then I'll go work out really hard for an hour. So whether that's lifting or running or, or doing something that makes me happy. And then once I kind of do that, which is like mental and physical training, I'm set up to be able to kind of battle out the day. And so it removes a lot of the peaks and valleys and it kind of makes them all these kind of little rolling hills and so then you have a bad call and you go, all right, is there anything that I can do to fix that call, you know, for 10 minutes from now for my next meeting? Probably not. If there is something, then I will attack it, right? Leave no stone unturned. But I think you just have to approach every morning like you're going into battle. And I don't want to say the last day, the last day of your life, but we don't really have any control over that. And so you do want to approach every single day with this 
are my habits today on par with my dreams for tomorrow? And then also it's like, okay, if today was the last day of my life, do I want to be doing what I'm about to do? And so, so if you can, you know, see your kids smile, I mean, that's wonderful. Make sure you do that. And then, you know, I kind of worked and figured out what my perfect day was. And then I just try and do that every day, which then obviously allows me to endure the roller coaster ride every single day. So that's interesting. So it's not so much about, it sounds like what you've learned, if I'm to summarize, is that it's not so much about finding ways to kind of react to certain situations and recover from them. It's mostly about how to prepare and to, to endure them. So you, you kind of prepare and you, um, get ready. You have like a process, you have a morning routine. It sounds like it's almost two hours of like a morning routine that helps prepare you for these, you know, battles that you go to instead of kind of having this other kind of like after everything happens, how to react to it. You're, you're focused on the before rather than the after. Yeah. Because I think during, right. During you handle the during way more efficiently than requires the aftermath to be less impactful. I mean, there's still moments where you have the worst call of your life and you're just like, oh my God, how am I going to deal? How am I going to deal with this? What are some of those moments? Can you share with us what some of those moments have been, those big, big challenges? I mean, they're every day, especially right now. 80% of the world's sunflower oil comes out of Russia and Ukraine. Wow. Right. So you're like, whoa. <laughs> so we use organic expeller pressed sunflower oil, which has like a very specific flavor profile. It comes out of that region. And so when, when that war began, we got a phone call from our, they're like a global oil supplier. And they're like, yeah, we don't know if you're ever going to get oil ever again. Wow. <laughs> And you're just like, what? <laughs> you're like, that's in every single one of our products. And you're like, okay, okay, uh, let's talk through this. And so then you immediately start working other angles. Now that didn't end up being the case, right? We, we found oil from other regions and countries, et cetera. Uh, but it's been crazy because then you go, all right, well, that's Russian Ukraine. Then there was an avian flu that then happened whatever, four weeks ago or something. So, you know, half of the organic eggs in the Midwest in California were all gone, which we used to emulsify our creamy dressings with. So you're like, oh, okay. So oil, eggs, right. and, you know, you can't, you can't make this up. And then you've got the port problem going on. And mm. so all of our glass or plastic or labels or whatever, they're floating on a boat somewhere and they can't be loaded on because they don't have enough workers to do it. And then gas, diesel, $6 a gallon, and there's a trucker shortage. And like the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And you just sit there and you go, wow, like you literally can't make this up. It would be like if someone looked at everything that Tessie Mays was from an ingredient perspective and goes, let's ruin all of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. then they go, 
okay, the all hands meetings in like 12 minutes, get ready to uh, give everybody an update. But I do think the key to that is just being honest, you know, because everybody's watching the news just like you are and everybody kind of hears the rumblings anyway. And so if you go in there and just try and bullshit them, they're going to be like, get out of my face. And so I am radically transparent, probably to a fault. Right. Well, I, like I was saying before, I tried some of the products. The lemon pepper is so good. I tried the creamy Caesar. I'm a big Caesar salad fan. I don't know if that's like an East coast thing. I don't know. <laughs> salad, but I love it. And the creamy Caesar that you guys have is really good. The one thing that stuck out is the pepper. I'm like, you guys are into pepper. Maybe yeah. it's just because my two favorite have a lot of pepper in them, but <laughs> maybe I'm the pepper person. Yeah. Well, you know, pepper is actually an art form because it oxidizes so quickly that it loses its potency. And so a lot of times the reason why you won't have a good dressing that has pepper in it is because they're using kind of pre-chopped, almost stale pepper that has no flavor. And so we're actually grinding the pepper into the dressing. And so that's why it tastes good. You can totally tell because it's very strong, like real peppers in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really great. You it's all organic. My husband has a gluten allergy. So the fact that they're all gluten-free is a big deal. I never was able to bring home salad dressings before because of that, but yeah, the products are really, really good. You guys have different types of dips. What other kind of categories have you guys expanded into other than kind of dips and dressings and marinades? Well, we have a sap. So we're in, we make all the salads for Sam's Club in North America. Nice. So we have a produce uh, plant in California. And so we got into that just because we were trying to sell dressing. <laughs> and and You're they like, really Let's sell salad too. Yeah, well, they were like, we really like the dressing. We want to give you this contract for, for the salads as well. And we're like, okay. So we've been doing that for a while. That's been, that's been good. And then mayonnaise, you know, like our mayonnaises are really wonderful. We're always open to all types of stuff. Like we make a Jerry Garcia sauce. I saw that. Um, that is delicious. That's probably- like a hot sauce? It's this magical- kind of everything so like how do you explain this and who's this guy jerry yeah i mean it's just the most magnificent freaking there's like mustard there's hot sauce in there it's just it's delicious so it's like an original it is an original nice i guess most of your stuff is all original most of it anyways yeah i mean we just kind of we listen to customers, you know, lemon pepper came because someone just like you was like, Hey, I really like pepper. And I want you to make a pepper dressing. We're like, okay. And so we did it. And it, it has gone well. That's awesome. What are some of the limiting beliefs you've had to overcome to get to where you are? Was there, you know, I know we've talked a lot about how you prepare each day now, and that's kind of how you, what you've learned over the years to help you withstand the ups and downs, but before like way back, were there any limiting beliefs that you had to kind of really overcome? You, everybody has all of this doubt, 
of whether or not they have the ability to do it. And I think as entrepreneurs, you know, I, this is why I like having these conversations because I think that that's important to say out loud. And I think that most people seeing your success and most entrepreneurs' success think, oh, they just didn't have any doubt. They just knew right away. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to experience the doubt that I have about myself being able to build a business of my dreams, right? So yeah. that's why I like to ask that question. Yeah, I mean... It's just general doubt. And then it's Paulo Coelho wrote The Alchemist, and he has uh, the 10th anniversary edition. The introduction goes over the four obstacles to achieving what he calls your personal legend. But it's like your dreams. And it's really interesting because it sums it up really, really well in terms of like all of the doubts that people have or the excuses that they make as to why they aren't gonna do something or they are. And I try and read that, you know, the introduction at a minimum, you know, once a quarter. And again, what it does is it just really reinforces the fact that you're on a journey, it's not gonna be easy. The things that you are telling yourself are made up in your head. These kind of buckets of obstacles, whether it's like, uh, fear of the defeats you'll you'll meet along the journey or hurting the people that you love. Uh, they're, again, they're just made up. And if they actually care about you and love you, they want you to be successful or, you know, the defeats aren't going to be as bad as you think, or, you know, the journey's worth it. You are worthy of accomplishing your goals. And so, again, I think so many people surround themselves with the wrong people that, if you're not curating success, you're probably curating failure. Right. You are the average. Like unintentionally, probably. Right. All of the information that you're consuming is either setting you up for success or it's setting you up for failure. You're either focused or you're not focused. You're either preparing for success or you're preparing for failure. And so when you look at your day or you look at your friends or you look at the people you talk to for counsel, they're either telling you honest feedback to help you accomplish your goals or, you know, misery likes company. They're gonna, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. I don't know if it's such a great idea because at the end of the day, everybody just wants, they don't want the comparison of success. Right? They don't want their friend who started at the same baseline to have figured out a way to accomplish their dreams that they don't get to. Right. Because then they're faced then they're faced with it every day that they didn't go after their own dreams. And 100%. that's not fun for a lot of people if they're in a bad space. No, it's not. So before we wrap up here, because I know you're in Rehoboth Beach and it's June, you're on like summer vacation taking this interview. So I want to get you back to your kids and having fun on the beach. So before we wrap up, just three more questions. What's your favorite sauce? What's next for the brand? What are we going to see? You know, if you have any products coming out or launches in retail, what, what can we expect? And then any final advice for aspiring entrepreneurs? Okay, so favorite sauce. I basically just go on rotation. So I use different stuff for different stuff consistently. So I have, I'm always using lemon garlic. I'm always using balsamic. I'm always using everything bagel ranch. I'm always using habanero ranch. 
I'm always using our buffalo sauce. I'm always using Jerry Garcia, and I'm always using our mayonnaise. And I use them for different stuff, and I use them all the time, and um, they're delicious. What's next is we're doing a massive packaging refresh that we're launching. Like a rebrand or just packaging change? Uh, it's still going to be Tessie Mays, but like all the packaging uh, is going to look way different. Cool. We're, we're super excited about that. That's going to be launching probably in the next 30 days, I hope. And then final advice, you know, just trust your gut. You know in your, in your gut whether or not uh, it's right or it's wrong. And every time I have ignored my gut, it has been the worst situation of my life. Every time I have trusted my gut, it has saved me. And so trust your gut. That's awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time on your summer vacay um, for talking to me and sharing your inspiring story and, and building Tessie Mays. And I'm excited for you and your brothers. I can't wait to see the rebrand or the packaging. I'm sure it's going to look awesome. So I'll keep an eye out. And thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.